0: Welcome to the Women's Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Sheridan House. We continue today in the series, God's Masterpiece, a study of women in the Bible. If you've missed any part of this series, you can find it and many others online at SheridanHouse.org. We hope you enjoy today's lesson. Well, welcome back. Oh, no, you're supposed to say that to me. (laughs) And um, I just want to say it's good to be back, I think. No, it is good to be back. And um, we just, um, I'll tell you that in just a minute, but um, I'll tell you what. Are we blessed with a Sarah Heideck or what? Yes. And um, as I'm saying that, I, I don't want to forget, as I think about how God has provided these amazing young women to be substitutes. Um, I also don't want to miss saying thank you Lord for our our amazing leadership team. You know, I know I say at the beginning of the year, maybe at the end of the year, but you know, they are working, have worked around the clock. Um, Yeah, please thank them. And um, and also, and all the things that they do, and I want you to just ponder that and just be grateful. And as you walk by one of the leadership team, thank them very much. And also, how about Monica? A thank you to Monica, who writes that newsletter. Yeah. Every week with her two little um, twins. Two little... Is that, way, is that the way you say it? Her twins. She's got two ch- children, same age. Yeah, twins. <laughs> anyway. Um, and with twins and trying to figure out virtual school and all that kind of thing, and yet she gets that thing out by Monday or Tuesday or whenever it is. And I, I just... I, I don't want us to ever you know, take for granted some of the blessings that we have here. And you are a blessing to me that in spite of this rain and storm, here you are sitting here in person. Wow. And those of you who are out there, I, I just um, am grateful that you're taking time to turn on the video or the audio to be a part of our um, being together, studying, studying um, the book of Esther. I also want to say Remember a couple weeks ago, I showed you that amazing picture of the sunrise, and we talked about the consistency and the, the power of our God, and that we can count on that in these times of unrest and difficulty and fear, really, that has gripped our hearts with all that's going on, and the, it hit me again, and I hate to say this because if you don't get a chance to see fall, I feel bad, so I feel bad saying this, but when I was up in North Carolina last week to be able to see fall and, I, and I, I, it hit me and I remembered that time that we had the week before of looking at that picture and saying wow God and I thought the same thing I thought you know what Lord we may be going through rough times here on earth right now um, in our country and really around the globe but guess what every season comes the leaves change They're going to fall off the tree and suddenly up there in other parts of the country, it's going to be winter and then spring's going to come and the leaves are going to go back on the trees and then all of a sudden summer will come and the, the hot, you know, temperatures will hit. And it just struck me again that in the midst of our uncertainty, fear, anxiety, that we can count on the power of our mighty God. He is the same. He is consistent. Whether our lives feel like they're in a mess or what, wherever we are, he is powerful, consistent, and will never change. I love that. And so as you think about um, those things as we look around us, as we see the sunrise and set, and as we see um, nature and all those things, let's learn that lesson of holding on and just hugging that truth that God is all-powerful. And this story that we're going to be looking at, this chapter, kind of underscores that very idea. And so we're going to be in the sixth chapter, if you've got your Bibles turned to it, or your apps, or phones, or however you do it, we are in the sixth chapter, beginning at first one, and we're going to begin to see God's plan unfold. Now we've already been watching it happen, but things are really ramping up. (laughs) <laughs> when we get to the sixth chapter of the book of es- Esther, and A on your outline is we're looking at God's plan unfolds. Things are not always as they seem. Things are not as always are, are not always as they seem. Number one, when things are quiet, sometimes there are times in our life when everything is kind of mm, quiet and status quo, and there's no big crazy things going on. And we think that um, uh, you know, that everything's gonna be okay and everything is status quo. And sometimes we don't realize that the shoe is about to drop. And um, uh, if, you, if you are a mother or a grandmother or have worked with children, you know how true that is. When things are all quiet, it's not always as they seem, is it? I'll never forget when Tori, I'm glad her husband is not in the room at the moment, with the filming, but um, I remember when Tori was probably a little bit old, older than a toddler, and she had a little her little best friend over, and they were playing, and went off into her, her room, and it was very quiet, and I thought, oh good, I'll just get some dishes done, and all of a sudden I thought, you know what? It's really too quiet in here, and it's been too long, I better go check and see what's going on. So I walked down the hall, and sure enough, the door was closed, and I thought, what in the world? Open the door to a fog of white. The only thing I saw was two pair of blue eyes kind of peering out of this fog. And what they've done, I don't know even to this day how they did it, but they emptied an entire uh, bottle of baby powder. And it was just everywhere. Now it seemed quiet and all things well, but can I quickly tell you, I think even today I'd still be cleaning up baby powder. Uh, with even with her help or whatever, but um, sometimes, even when things are quiet, there can be things going on behind the scenes that we don't even realize. But here's the thing: the contrary is true, and that's where we're going to kind of park today. The contrary is true. Number two, when things seem distressing, when things seem out of whack, when things seem frightening when things don't seem like they're going in the right direction, when things look terrible, guess what? They're not necessarily so. They're not necessarily so. And that's where we come into our stories. Even when things seem distressing. So be on your outline. Just to kind of recap the events of the story. Last week, Sarah taught us and we we left Haman. What was he doing? Building gallows on which to hang our hero, Mordecai. That's where we left the story. And wow, talk about things seeming distressing on the surface. And, um, you know, uh, that um, all seemed really lost for Mordecai, but God. But God steps in. God steps in. We were going about to see Mordecai you know, going to being hanged, whew, I'm going to get these words out at some point anyway, but um, hanged on the gallows and the annihilation of the Jews throughout the empire. This was looming ahead, and yet we see God stepping in. We need to remember that when God steps in to expect the unexpected, to expect the unexpected. We have already learned this in this book. Uh, You know, uh, think about this, a nobody, orphan, foster child who is elevated to the queen of the massive empire at that time, Persian Empire. There's a story that I read years ago, I don't know if it was a makeup story or a a true story, but it's a wonderful story about this man, I don't know what he was doing in the ocean by himself, but he was in, in a boat and he was shipwrecked on this little island. And he had had to, you know, walk around and figure out food and and find fruit, you know, on on plants and different things like that. Figure figure out how to survive as he was on this desert island, had no clue where he was or no way. He didn't have cell phones in that day. And trying to figure out how to, to, you know, get word to his family and friends at home and how to be saved in the situation. And he built himself this little hut, and he probably just took grass and, you know, plants and different things and made this little hut. And one night, oh my goodness, it burned down. And the next morning, as he was trying to figure out what to do, he looked out, and there, um, along the side of the island, a ship was anchored. And when he went to the ship, they said thank you for your smoke signal and it saved his life it saved he was able to leave yeah and um i think it is a true story don't you but you know what the truth of that is true in our lives that god is in the business of using things that perhaps seem terrifying and yet he is going to make something good about it um It appears that all was lost in our story, but the crisis was needed for the solution to go operational. That crisis was needed of what's going to happen to Mordecai, what's going to happen to all the Jews across our empire. They needed that moment for God's saving grace to come through. Wow. Number one, on that night, let's look at how this took place. Look at verse one with me. On that night... The king could not sleep, and he gave orders to bring a book of memorial deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced insomnia, but um, I think a real good solution to insomnia is bring a boring book of history like that in. Now, I love history, but the chronicles of important things that happened in the empire, really? I mean, that would be something to put you to sleep for sure, so... um, notice it says on that night the final hour probably the night before or days at least before tragedy was going to hit mordecai on that night god has the king have insomnia and so they begin to to uh, read the chronicles now Was it just a coincidence that he happened to not be able to sleep that night? Absolutely not. There is no such thing as coincidence with God. Everything about our mighty God is ordered, orchestrated, in his sovereignty and in his providence, including, okay, insomnia. And in my life, a little sidebar, um, when i can't sleep at night it's just amazing to me how god has used that so often to be my very special prayer time and the lord will bring dear and darling friends who are struggling to my mind to pray for and and it's just amazing and how when i go through my list of people please you know help so and so on this and that and this and that boom, I'm, i get very sleepy right um in fact, I remember a time when Roby was a baby, and um, he was crying in the middle of the night, and I walked in, and I'm patting and patting and patting, crying, 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 and so I thought, oh, okay, so I lay down on the floor. Have you ever done this? My hand's in the crib, patting, 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 and all of a sudden, it hit me. You know what, Lord? It has been so long since I've had a really solid time of prayer in being with you, and patting, patting, patting. And so I did the same thing, which I just described to you. I began to pray and I just talked about Sheridan House and just on and on. And finally I got, and I said, Lord, I, don't, I can't think of anything else you, know, you want me to pray about. And all of a sudden I, I looked over, gone, sound asleep. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, you know, that is so beautiful that God uses times like sleeplessness or whatever to do his work. And that is exactly what happened with King Ahasuerus. In this chapter here. Interesting how God moves and uses such mundane things. You know, sometimes he does incredible drama type things like parting the Red Sea. Sometimes he uses the, or- the ordinary like insomnia in our lives. I think God delights in being unpredictable, don't you? Don't we have a tendency, I, I remember Bob used to say, we can't put God in a box. You know, we can't say, okay, this is the way God works, this is the way He's going to ha- what's gonna happen, and to, to put him in a box, because God loves to work in unprecedented, unpredictable ways. And here's one of them. Just before Mordecai was about to be hung on those gallows, he has a sleepless night, so that he has to read the Chronicles, and guess what was in the Chronicles? Wow. Interesting that one sleepless night changed the course of events so dramatically. Momentous events hung on the thinnest of threads. Deliverance of the Jews precipitated by insomnia. Uh, r- uh, records being brought in that would be uh, nothing more better than a sleeping pill to be able to be read, the Chronicles. and. When we see what's in it, we're going to see how the deliverance of the Jews hung on reading this boring literature of history. Look at verses 2 and 3 with me. And it was found written how Mordecai had told about Brigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, Nothing was done for him. Wow, great lesson. Number two, God works in his way and in his time, God moves with his own agenda. Mordecai may have been forgotten. I remember, we studied that back in the third chapter, and we said, oh, my goodness, you know, he, nobody honored Mordecai after what he did to save the life of the king. In fact, oh, my goodness, the wrong man was elevated. And that was the point in the third chapter when uh, Haman became the, uh, the leader amongst the court and when Mordecai should have been the one honored. But God had not forgotten But God moves the way he sees fit and in his perfect time. Had Mordecai been honored back then, the events of this chapter would have been thwarted. If he had been honored in the time that when we first read it, we're like, oh, wow, he didn't even, nobody said anything about what a brave thing Mordecai did. Uh, He didn't get honored at all, and Haman, the bad guy, gets elevated. If that had happened, the events of this chapter would have been thwarted, kind of like the shipwrecked man. (laughs) Crisis saved him. Crisis saved him. Wow. Number three, God has a different perspective. God sees all. His perspective is different from ours because he can see the beginning from the end. Um, Sarah last week talked about the perspective of an eagle, And, you know, an eagle, if you've ever watched one in flight, they're amazing. They're so far up. They're not like a blue jay or some of the other, you know, smaller birds. They're up in the sky, and they're way up there, flying around and kind of getting the whole perspective. In fact, I've often thought to myself, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God if it would be okay to have a day when I have the life of a. Eagle. I don't want to turn into an eagle, but if I could at least fly around like an eagle, I'd take it. But it must be an in- incredible overview of what the world is like. That is God. He sees all, much more than an eagle. But uh, his perspective is so different from all. What a comfort for ones who are weary from the battle, quote, unquote, doing the right thing and no one seems to notice. Or how about this one? Praying diligently, diligently, diligently for an unsaved uh, loved one. I have a friend that recently her daughter was going through a very difficult time physically and a friend of the daughter's, she'd been sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel, and finally a friend of hers uh, flew in from Boston to check on her and presented the gospel to her. Her mother was blown away that here across the country, God placed this person, put, put it on her heart to come and share the gospel. She was the perfect one in the perfect timing. God sees it all. But when we're praying diligently, we don't see that. Or during... Um, doing the pure and right thing and no one seems to notice. Have we ever been there? Or being in a tough marriage, a work relationship, whatever it is, what a comfort, number four on your outline, that God sees all. God sees all. We've already talked about this verse, one of my favorites in Hebrews 6 verse 10 says this, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love he has shown you as you've helped his people and continue to help them. We may think that nobody else notices our efforts. We may feel like, you know, um, nobody knows that we're praying hard for them or whatever the situation is, but God sees it all. He, He notices. He's not unjust. He will not forget our work and the love that we have shown him. No one else might notice, but we can count on God Uh, on God's justice and his seeing. Remember, a couple weeks ago, we talked about one of God's names from the Old Testament is Jehovah El Royai, means God sees. And I love that that part of that character uh, of God, that he sees what we're dealing with. He knows what we're struggling. He knows we're working hard for him. He knows our efforts. He knows all that because he sees all. Jehovah el royai the god who sees not only does he see all but number five on your outline he cares about everything cares about everything haven't you sometimes felt lord do you even care about what i'm dealing with lord do you see what's going on lord do you see my efforts are you hearing my prayers and there are times when we feel that way don't we where we feel like does god even notice but guess what he most assuredly does. We are learning uh, that there is a divine reason for everything that God does. There was a divine reason for the sliding of Mordecai because God exercises his perfect timing. He has seen every tear, heard every discouraged sigh, he knows all of it, and he is working in the midst of it, but in his timing. I love First Peter 5:7. It says, he cares for you. He cares for you. And I, that's a, a verse that we need just, just to cling to in those times of difficulty. Another one that's amazing is some, you don't need to look it up, but you might want to jot it down for future reference. Psalm 56, 8 says this, you have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Do you love that? That when we're struggling, when we're tearful, when we're crying or maybe wailing over something, that God, it says, keeps our tears in a bottle. Now, I don't know. I'm sure that that's probably figurative. I don't think he needs a bottle to save our tears. But the point being, he knows everything that we're experiencing, and he remembers, and he keeps it. And it's a part of his relating to us. Another great one, Isaiah 41.10. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And remember, the right arm or the hand in the the Bible is a picture of strength. And so God is saying, I'm going to hold you. You feel like I don't care, you think that maybe I'm not listening to your prayers or, or may, and you're struggling, but I want you to know that I am holding you up. I'm not only holding you up, I am holding you up with my strong right arm, my strong right hand, and I'm collecting your tears in a bottle. There's gonna be a shelf right there, and it's gonna say Pam's bottle, Rosemary's bottle, Karen's bottle, and we're gonna, anyway, um, I got carried away there. But anyway, God has a a way of uh, of knowing what we're dealing with and ministering to us in his way and in his time. He is aware. Now, God has a way of dealing with all of this going on here. We're going to read it in just a minute. I think we can see, as, as we watch him dealing with it, we can see a sense of humor. Not only a sense of humor, but a little bit of irony. Look with me to verses four through 10. I just love this. And the king said, Who is in the court? This is the next morning after he has had the sleepless night listening to all the chronicles being read to him. Now, Haman, listen to this, had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king goes, oh, bring him in, come on, let him come in. So Haman comes in, and the king said to him, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman says to himself, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought which the king has worn and the horse that the king has ridden and on whose head a royal crown is set, let those robes and the horse be handed over to the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor and let him lead him uh, on this horse through the squares of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the the king delights to honor. And the king says to Haman, do you love the sense of humor of God? (laughs) Hurry, take those robes and that horse, as you have said, and do to Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate, leave out nothing that you have mentioned. Do you love it? <laughs> the irony, the sense of humor of God, incredible. Haman was coming in, verse 4, to ask for his Mordecai's life, and um, as the king is looking at how am I going to honor this man, and not only has God chosen to spare Mordecai's life, but honors him as well and has him be honored by the very man that wants to kill him. Wow, I love it. Um, and, and, we, and here's the thing. We need to apply that concept to our lives. You know, we read this and say, oh my, this is just such a great story. and Oh, ooh, you know, I'm just so happy for Mordecai and Esther and God's hand it. But you know what? God loves you and me just as much as he loves Mordecai, Esther, his disciples in the New Testament, Peter, James, John. all He loves all of us with a perfect love. So if he's going to orchestrate these kind of creative, um, ironic situations for Mordecai and Esther, won't he do that for us? Won't he do that for us? Absolutely. So as we do that, we're going to look at, and we've been doing this every week, and to me it's so helpful to look at lessons learned from Haman. We've already learned many lessons about him. But it just helps us to apply them to our lives and say, you know, I don't want to see any Haman creeping up in my heart here. And so it really helps to look at some of those lessons. First of all, A, one thing that we observe about him, his pride led to self-absorption. His pride led to self-absorption. Look at the second half of B again. And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? Wow. He's so self-centered, so prideful, that in his mind immediately he's thinking, well, he's got to be talking about me for goodness sake. Look at me. I'm just so wonderful. He is so full of himself, cannot imagine anyone else Could possibly be honored besides himself can anybody think of anybody besides me how careful we need to be in our own lives not to allow ourselves to be so absorbed in the things that we're concerned about or excited about or whatever it is in our lives that we become oblivious to others around us in their problems in proverbs 16 18 thank you pam Pride comes before a fall. Pride comes before a fall. And what a fall it was for Haman. Wow. A fall of his own making. God wasn't the one who picked his humiliation. It was Haman. He picked his own humiliation. Wow. Interesting thought to ponder. Um, Why the royal trappings? Why the royal robes and, you know, the royal horse and, you know, robes on the horse and all that kind of thing? Part of it, of course, was to, you know, here comes somebody very important. And, and of course, that's part of it. But you almost have to wonder, did he, you know, have the idea that someday maybe he would be royal? Did he somehow think that he was going to maybe someday have the throne himself? I don't know, it doesn't tell us in the story, but the point being that when you become so self-absorbed and prideful, it is the fall of ourselves. His lust for power was so great that perhaps he was even lusting for the throne. Wow. B, his pride led to blaming others. Look at verse 13. And Haman told his wife, Zeresh and his friends, everything that had happened to him, and his wise men and his wife said to him, if Mordecai, whom you have begun to, uh, to fall, is the Jew- with the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but surely fall before him. Wow. It might have been nice if they had advised him that way before he came up with this whole you know, uh, gallows thing <laughs> a, 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 you know, a few chapters before. Everything that has happened to him, it was always everybody else's fault. Haman was saying, you're not going to believe what happened to me today. And everything is somebody else's fault rather than, wow. um, I wouldn't be in this situation if it weren't for maybe something I did. I could be a happy person if it weren't for this injustice that was done to me. And that was Haman's attitude, wasn't it? Everybody else was at at fault. Um, Not only blaming others, as he's blaming others, number one, he never learns. He never learns. This is the same problem over and over again for Haman. No contrite spirit in Haman. You know, like, what can I learn from this? Okay, this was a very difficult uh, scenario. What can I do? Perhaps I have been prideful and hasty. That kind of an attitude is not a part of Haman's DNA, is it? Everything else is somebody else's fault. Number two, what can I learn from that? As I look at that aspect about Haman, what can I do? When when we're in a difficult situation, are we able to honestly look at it and see if we have brought any of it on ourselves? To be self-analytical, when we're dealing with a difficult situation, look into ourselves and say, okay, is there anything that I might have done to bring this out? Maybe there's a family member, an extended family member that's difficult in your life, and you're like, you know, why can't, why do every Thanksgiving, when that person walks through the door, I'm like, here they are again. And there's this tenseness. Well, is there, what we need to do is say, okay, Lord, did I do anything to create part of that tension that's escalated into being a difficult situation with this person? What is my part in this? Even if it's a molecule, (laughs) is there something that I have done? And if there's something that I have done, Lord, I confess it before you because I don't want to have this difficulty between this person and myself or whatever the situation. I'm just using that as an example. Whatever the situation, is there any part of me that has been, has added to this circumstance that has made it so difficult? Where is my fault in all this? That was not Haman, was it? seems like his wife and friends had a better handle on the situation, according to verse 13. They seem to sense that the Jewish God is not going to stand by and watch the destruction of Mordecai. Very nice of them to tell them at this point, wasn't it? Wow. Anyway, um, so number three, what can we learn about God? What can we learn about God? There's a great principle here. God is just and he will make things right here or hereafter. Listen to Romans 12:19. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We need to let God handle the injustices that we see. Little sidebar. Somebody asked a question last night. Okay, so, you know, hey, uh, Mordecai and Esther had hidden their Jewish background from the king. Remember that? And then all of a sudden, he's saying, bring... Uh, Mordecai, the Jew, into my presence so that we could honor him. How did he suddenly get to know? Isn't that a great question? I thought. Hmm. Anyway, I think mo- probably, most likely, as they were reading those the the um, uh, the historic records, and he was there sitting at the you know the uh, next to the gate and had seen the men that were going to. Um, the king and so forth that through that reading most likely my guess would be that they said oh yeah that jewish man that sits by the gate he's the one so perhaps that is how he uh, uh, the king came to know that uh, um he was jewish anyway look at psalm 37 1 through 9 and i think maybe i'm obsessed with psalm 37 because um, you've, it's been in two weeks worth of your homework but it's a long psalm and there's so many different aspects of it so um, I, I want us to look at that psalm 31 1 through 9 says we don't have to worry about the wicked that god sees all and will take care of it. particularly uh verse 13 17 and 20. And what is our response as we're dealing with those difficult people? Look at three through eight in Psalm thirty-seven. That should be our this should be our, our perspective. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. And he, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. I have that on a plaque above my um, kitchen sink because so often I get wound up and I'm going to, and this should be, and that should be, and I just need to be still. Be still and know that I am God. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not over the ones who prosper in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. In other words, as we are waiting for God to work, we need to be still before him. We need to say, Lord, I just want to get my hands in the middle of all this. I I want to help you out here with this difficult situation. And this verse says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Warren Wearsby says this, When we review these evidences of the providence of God, you cannot help but want to thank him for the great God he is. For the great God he is. Next, Let's look at Mordecai's life. Lessons learned from Mordecai, and again, I love doing this week after week because there are different aspects of their characters that come out that is very helpful and applicable to our own lives. This whole story teaches some wonderful lessons from this godly man. A on your outline, first of all, he was not self-promoting, not self-promoting. Remember back in the third chapter when his courageous act went unnoticed, it seems, it seems like such ingratitude on the part of the king and, you know, why didn't somebody tell the king and all that kind of thing. But we don't see any mention of a complaint or any attempt on his part to receive any recognition for his courage in serving uh, the, the king by saving his life. There's no, hey, did you guys tell the king you know, what I did yesterday? Did you, know, did you let him know? There's nothing like that. We see no evidence that he was self-promoting and saying, wow, I hope somebody noticed you know, the, the good things I, I did for the king. Does not, is not self-promoting. B, he does not have a vindictive spirit. Does not have a vindictive spirit. Look at verse 11. So Haman took the robe and the horse and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. (laughs) Thus shall it be done for the man whom the king delights to honor. Now we read nothing in that little passage of uh, of Mordecai saying under his breath, ha ha Haman, you're getting what you deserve, I'm finally getting what I deserve. There's absolutely no record of him saying anything, and you almost want to say to him, go ahead and say that to Haman. He's a bad guy. He's terrible. He's trying to kill you, blah, blah, blah. But apparently he was silent. Wouldn't it have been so tempting to respond like that? He apparently just let God have his way and let the chips fall where they may. What a lesson for us to learn. Number C, he was also not affected by being honored. Look at verse 12. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, to his house, mourning and with his head covered. He was so grief-stricken that he had had to do this to his mortal enemy, and he was humiliated and mortified and, and had to cover his head. Um, but I love the fact that then Mordecai returned to the king's gate. We could easily miss that verse. We could have easily said, you know... Um, Mordecai, why don't you just say, "Wow, finally I am honored. You know, finally they're noticing what I did for uh, the the king." And so, guess what? Maybe I should leave the outer gate. Maybe I should, you know, go into the inner gate because they would say, "Oh, that's the guy that, that the king honored." So that's okay; he can be in there. And you know, maybe if I go inside, I could have more of an impact for my people. And so he could have easily gotten carried away with um, uh, uh, being how he was honored. But number one, he does not do that. How was he able to react that way? How was he able to be not affected by what had happened? Because he had a peace and an assurance of resting in God's plan. Let me say that again to me and to you because he had a peace and assurance of resting in God's plan. Not only did he use his new position, did not use his new position for personal gain, he didn't even use it, uh, his new notoriety to push a plan for his people, and why? I think because he left it in Esther's hands. He was leaving it in the hands of uh, of the plan that God had ordained for the situation. God had impressed upon him Let Esther handle this for such a time as this. And so rather than, you know, getting involved himself, I'm just going to go with God's plan. This is clearly what he wanted me to do. He was living by faith, not sight, as 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says. He, in faith, allowed God's plan to go operational. He was not trusting in his new elevation out of obscurity, but in his plan that God had established. Number two, what can I learn? Well, it should make us introspective again. How do I handle things when good things do come my way? (laughs) Do I desire and strive for applause in the spotlight? Or am I willing to go back to the gate, quote, unquote? Am I comfortable waiting in obscurity for God to work in his way and in his time? Wow! rather than promoting myself. In summary, bottom line, A, whom are we seeking justice from? Whom are we seeking justice from? Clearly, Mordecai was trusting in God rather than man. How about you and me? As we're waiting for that moment to happen, Um, I'll never forget when the children were little, they would say, it's just not fair. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's okay, Katie. This too shall pass. But um, Bob had a saying, and every time the children would say that, he'd say, fair is where they serve cotton candy. (laughs) And every time they'd say, not fair, he'd say, The fair is where they serve cotton candy. Life is not fair sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so he would get, he would say it so many times that when the children would start saying it's not fair, they'd say, I know, Dad, fair is where they serve cotton candy. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, but isn't that the truth? When things don't seem fair, quote, unquote, do we seek justice from the one, capital O, who is trustworthy? Who is trustworthy? Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8 says this. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert, and he shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for the leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Who are we trusting? Man? Man's wisdom? are we trusting God, even though sometimes it feels like it's taking forever for the answer to come? What are we trusting in? Romans 8, 31 through 35, uh, such a beloved passage that we studied a few years ago, just so packed with truth. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who does not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Isn't that the truth? If God would send his beloved son to die for our sins, would he hold back the things that we need in our life? Absolutely not. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies Who is it to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is now at the right hand of of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And that's such a great picture. And and haven't you done that? And we should do it probably every day when you are, are banging on the doors of heaven over a prayer request that is so near and dear to your heart, the concern over something or a situation or a person, saying, Jesus... I know from Romans 8 that you are standing next to God in the throne room at the right hand of God who is indeed is interceding for us. Saying, Jesus, please intercede in this situation on my behalf. You are there in the throne room. You're at the right hand of God. Hear my prayer and interpret it for me. And there's another verse also in Romans 8. You may remember how it says that the Holy Spirit takes our groanings. and makes sense of it. Yeah. I love it. So anyway, it is God who justifies. Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, raised and is at the right hand of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, pandemics, illness, Uh, unrest in our country, none, 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 nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. That is where, yes, that is where justice comes from. That is where our trust for fair should be placed. Fair is in the hands of God. Fair is in the hands of God that loves us so incredibly that he sent his son so that he could have an eternal relationship with us wow that is fair when all seems unfair when all have forgotten God is there collecting our tears figuratively speaking in his bottle Psalm 56 8 bottom line we can have be joy when dot 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 you fill in the blank. What is it in your life that seems to strip your joy away, that seems so difficult, but we can have joy even when, and that is such a truth of the story that we're looking at today. Here was Mordecai headed to the gallows, and God in his ironic sense of humor has Haman come in and says, now you're going to elevate this man. Wow. Joy when even when. That is what we need to choose. Habakkuk 3:17 through 19 says this. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, the produce of the olive fail, the fields seem to yield no food, the flocks be cut off from the fold, and there is no herd in the stalls. In other words, when every imaginable difficulty could come your way, Look what this verse says. I will rejoice in the Lord, yet I will rejoice in the the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. In other words, wow. When we're going through a difficulty, when things seem just impossible, we still need to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Warren Wiersbe said this, when God sounds the alarm, it plays, pays to stop, look, listen, and obey. And I would add to that, you never. I shouldn't do this, but I'd also like to say, and I will choose to rejoice in the Lord Mm -hmm. I will I will take joy in the God of my salvation I talked to a friend just yesterday who was going through a very very difficult time physically and we began talking I know you're sick of hearing me talk about this but my thousand thank yous by Ann Van Camp remember that book listing my gratefuls say it again Vaughn Camp thank you I can never get her name right but you know what book I'm talking about and I was getting ready to say, yeah, you know what? I am working on 9,200 and something um, gratefuls. And before I could get it out, she said, I am well over 80,000. I'm 84. And I thought to myself as I was reading this verse, preparing, I thought, what an example of yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. We can choose where we're going to look. We can choose to look at the mightiness of God. We can choose to look at our circumstances, or we can choose to look at the mighty one who is in control of our lives, each other's lives, and the universe. Wow. Wow. What a mighty God we serve. Let's For previous lessons or other resources, please visit SheridanHouse.org or call us at 954-583-1552. We hope you can join us again next week.